Once again, ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome to Speakers Inc. We Speak a Global Speakers Showcase Series. My name is Dwayne and today a great pleasure to bring you the next of our fantastic speakers all the way from Australia. Her name is Lucy Bloom. She is an international keynote speaker, author with a new book coming out in a short while. You want to look out for that. And consulting CEO with a significant public profile in Australia. She is the former chief executive officer of Sunrise Cambodia and the former CEO and founder director of Hamlin Fistula Ethiopia. She's hilarious. She's energetic, she's fun, and she has got so much to say. Would you please, ladies and gentlemen, help me to welcome Lucy Bloom. My name is Lucy Bloom, and I'm coming to you from a snazzy studio on the Gold Coast in Australia. Now, you've already noticed that I'm only wearing one earring. Well, I lost the other earring zip lining through a rainforest on the Gold Coast yesterday. I screamed my head off all afternoon. So much fun, highly recommended. So today I am recording a little snapshot of Lucy Bloom, a showcase of some of the most popular content that I'm invited to present all over the world on stages and screens. I am most often asked to speak on courage. And I think that is such popular content because without courage, there's so much more you don't have access to. It is so hard to embrace change, to be a resilient person, to fail fast, to have fun as part of your, as your, as part of your general business model. All those things come with courage. Once you can access your own bravery, find your pluck, you can access so much more. So that's why I think courage is such a popular piece of content. So let's go. Courage. Let's give it a definition. In my book, courage is showing up even though you know things might not turn out so well and not behaving like a peanut. So it's not really courage if you know you're going to have a great day. Things are going to turn out fine. You're going to win. It didn't take much courage for me to show up today. I knew this studio day would go pretty easily. That's not really courage. Courage is showing up when you know things aren't necessarily going to be easy and behaving with grace. So when I put this courage content together, I really wanted to talk to someone who worked in a really dangerous job, who had to be courageous, brave every single day of their work life. And to me, I think the most courageous job there is, is a paratrooper, a soldier who jumps out of a perfectly good aeroplane into a war zone and fights their way out. And lucky for me, I know a paratrooper. So I had a series of conversations with him about courage and how the military treats courage. And he said to me, look, no one in the military talks about courage or bravery. You won't hear someone say, oh, I'll see you at the, the 3.30 bravery workshop. He said, they don't even discuss it. That word is never even used. What the military does is they have an obsessive focus on the repetition in the training. They do things over and over and over and over so that soldiers start relying on their muscle memory more than anything. The military says, don't rise to the occasion, fall back on your training. My paratrooper mate told me that he said there were days where he did 13 jumps in one day, training jumps. And he said when it came to the real thing, he said, 
he's jogging towards the back of this plane and his best mates are all disappearing off the back of this this aeroplane feet first and he's about to go too and he said he noticed that the back of that plane just started to look like a giant LCD TV so something quite terrifying had truly become another day at the office He'd taken something that he was really scared of when he was a, a new recruit uh, and now could literally do with his eyes closed. That's really exciting. That excites me because it means that any one of us can take something that they fear, something that's stopping them from thriving, uh, and we can take that and we can just do it over and over and over and over until it's really familiar, until we can rely on muscle memory, until it doesn't scare us anymore. When things are familiar, they're not very frightening. We know exactly what to expect. Practice, 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 practice. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is famous for saying, do something every day that scares you. And I now realize what she means. She means do something every single day, that one thing every day that scares you, and then it won't scare you anymore. It's bang on. I'm a collector of tea towels. I know I look like a tea towel collector, but I have one from Queenstown in New Zealand, and it's a picture of a woman wrestling a crocodile. And the text says, do something every day that scares your family. I quite like that one. I have my best ideas when I'm running and uh, I shouldn't really be running because my first year out of high school I had a massive motorcycle accident on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Now if you're going to write yourself off, do it on an internationally recognised landmark then everyone knows where it happened. <laughs> but I had 14 reconstructive operations to put me back together. I was in and out of hospital for a year, a week and a day to save my right leg. I can give a whole speech on what I learned in that year, recovering from that accident, but I really shouldn't be running. But I do because the pain and suffering of running just pulls me right into pinpointed focus. I think I need to go into my brain so I don't feel <laughs> the agony of running and then I have my best ideas. Uh, I remember coming home from a run and I'm not this is like under 5k's not very far at all but I came home for a run all hot bothered sweaty staggered into the house and said to my husband I have just had the best idea and he went oh what now and that is why he's my ex-husband. Because you need people around you who are going to fan your flame, who are gonna be right behind you as you face these challenges, as you pick a fear and nuke it. You need people to believe in you and be right behind you. Now I call it uh, testing your nerve where you pick something and go, I don't like that, but I'm having a go. Uh, and many years ago when I was running an advertising agency, I had a client who sent me to far north Queensland. They had just bought a pocket of land uh, and I went to the briefing meeting. She said, Lucy, we want you to shoot this pocket of land, interview some of the locals. Oh, and we'd like you to shoot some aerial footage. Now, my client didn't know that at the time I was terrified of flying. 
Uh, but I didn't want to look silly, and so I said, sure, I can, I can make that happen. Now, I was terrified of flying, not anymore. You know why? Because I've done it so many times. It's so familiar to me. I've survived every flight I've ever taken, and I'm the mother of three children. So frankly, being able to sit down and someone bring me a cup of tea and not have my movie interrupted is a gift. I flippin' love flying now. <laughs> But at the time, terrified of flying, didn't want to do it, didn't want to look like a fool either, so I said yes. So I flew to Cairns, which is a three hour flight from where I live in Sydney, terrifying. Picked up my hire car and drove straight next door to where the heliport is. And I walked in, I spoke to the lady at the desk and she said, oh, we can do that for you right now. And without thinking too much, I just said, okay, let's get it done now. I think it's really great not to think too hard. When you catastrophize and overthink things, you will, you will only ponder on the worst case scenarios. Don't think too hard and go, go, go. So I said yes, I signed my life away and then I looked to out the left of this sort of hangar office and it was big open side to the office and the pilot was walking towards the office with the door of the helicopter in his hands. And he's shouting, do you want the door on or off? Because photographers normally like the door off. I said, okay, we go with the door off if that's what photographers do. <laughs> so to my horror, we go to get in the helicopter. To my horror. There was no harness, no fancy safety, anything. There was just a lap sash like you get in the back seat of a hatchback. So I buckle up. And then we just took off. It was so incredible. I left my guts on the ground. <laughs> we took off and I had uh, headphones on and a button to communicate with the pilot. It's quite a small helicopter. So he sat in front, I sat behind him. And sometimes, look, this is the Lucy Bloom thing. Sometimes I need a little extra reassurance. And so I, I pushed my button and I said, um, I'm the mother of three and I really need to survive this flight. And he replied, salt of the earth kind of guy. He goes, that's all right, darling. I'm the father of four and it's chicken for dinner tonight. <laughs> I don't even know what that even means, but it was oddly reassuring because a chicken had been sacrificed. Seven kids expected us home that night. The odds were good. <laughs> so I tried not to think too hard about it. I didn't look down and off we went. It was the most incredible experience. I would point to a little group of islands and he would bank the bird towards those islands. And there I was, a woman afraid of flying, hanging out the side of a helicopter. I shot the most incredible footage that day. Imagine if I'd stayed on the ground and let a local photographer go and do that job. Honestly, about 98% of good photography is having the opportunity to point your lens at something cool. And only 2% is creativity and technical. <laughs> so I had this brilliant opportunity, so glad I took it and faced that fear. But you know, pushing your nerve is one thing. It's a lot of fun pushing the nerve of people who report to you. So once I hired a woman, in her job interview, she said, oh, I'm not much of a computer person, which I would recommend you never say in a job interview. But for lack of candidates, she got the job and I put her in charge of IT. 
I learned this when I was a CEO running a charity in Cambodia. And in Cambodia, they have committees for everything. And uh, so they might have a committee to solve alcoholism in the village, but they will make the, um, the uh, chair of the committee, they'll make him the biggest alcoholic in the village because he knows all the ins and outs, all the secrets, where they're hiding it, how they're distilling it. He's the perfect person to lead solving the problem. And so with this in mind, I put this new recruit in charge of IT. And she was kind of brilliant. She came at it with a base knowledge of zero. If she asked me something, I would say, have you Googled it? And she'd figure it out for herself. She came at it with no jargon. So it meant that she could explain our IT to our volunteer army, which were all women who were 65 plus, not fond of jargon. So she was great at IT. She became a computer person. And then only a few months later, I overheard her say to someone, oh, I'm not much of a runner. So I sent her to Ethiopia to run against Ethiopians at altitude in a race. And yes, yeah, she was a rubbish runner. She was right about that. Uh, but what that trip showed her is that she absolutely loved running adventure trips small groups of people going on wild adventures. And that group of only 12 women who did that crazy 10K run in Ethiopia, they raised a quarter of a million dollars together for the charity for which I was CEO, which funded a network of hospitals and a midwifery school in Ethiopia. So imagine if I hadn't pushed that woman right where she said she did not want to go, right where she said she wasn't good at. Uh, but I also had her back. So in small organisations, people get a lot of responsibility. Uh, you have to have a red hot go at most things, but it's important to show your team that you have their back. If they fall on their face, you'll be there to help them. She actually left the organisation to pursue a career in IT and adventure, would you believe? <laughs> so test your nerve. Test the nerve of people who report to you. Do things that scare you, and that's how you will get over your fears. I hope you've enjoyed this presentation. I absolutely love it at the end of a speech where I can say, everyone gets a book. We have a bit of an Oprah moment. So I have a memoir called Get the Girls Out, and it's a bestseller here in Australia. Uh, and you can drop a link in if this is a hybrid or an online event, you can drop a link in for everyone to download the ebook for themselves, or you can mail them the hard copy. It's um, really exciting to be able to say you're getting one in the mail tomorrow. Uh, so that's a gorgeous thing to be able to do at your events. It's called Get the Girls Out, a memoir of love, loss and letting loose. So if you love my style of storytelling, you'll love my book. Lucy, right up. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for your short period of time that you spent with us online as well. I'm going to start with this though. The hair. Tell me about the hair. I love it. It gets your attention and I know what you're doing. As a speaker, I know what you're doing. You walk into a room and you've immediately got everybody's attention, gives you an advantage. Why did it start? How did it start? And you clearly enjoy it. So tell me more. Yeah. Sure. Good question. It all began about seven years ago. And I kind of like answering this question because then I get to be a dirty name dropper. So I was invited to meet Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. 
at a, a world premiere for the film her first directorial debut in Sydney Australia I was on the guest list but so were 300 other people and so I kind of wanted to get noticed and I sort of handed myself over to a friend of mine who was um, a hairdresser and I came out looking like this and I just loved it and uh, I thought it would be uh, a temporary thing but my kids loved it and I remember mm. my son about 12 when he said mum my friends at school think your hair is the coolest thing ever it's pretty much what's getting me through right now (laughs) and so I just kept it and then it's really become my branding and now my clients expect me to have a hot pink mohawk and I often walk into um, a venue and I'm the next speaker and the whole place is pink sometimes it's just the lighting sometimes it's pink balloons pink decorations the pink carpet so instead of a red carpet there'll be a pink one <laughs> so uh yeah it's my brand now i stick with it well, i love it but there's a follow-on question that just comes straight to mind do you ever wake up in the morning and go just for today just for today i do not want pink hair and there's nothing you can do about it is there other than a cap but it's not gonna hide the pink hair. <laughs> yeah no it's a, pink makes me happy i like it i love it um, last year I had a bad day and I shaved my head and I quite liked it because I had a summer of being incognito. No one recognised me. It was kind of fun. But my um, my clients expect it. And my next big client was the ha- a hairdressing council. Oh. And uh, so I had to grow my hair real fast and back to Pink Mohawk and I love it. <laughs> and I think I couldn't agree with you more. I just love the fact that everywhere you go, then you are now known as that pink lady. Even before they yeah, know you... That's right. They'll recognize me from the program. So sure. they don't might not know who I am, but they'll go, oh, that's that lady. <laughs> so it's kind of Even heavy. just having spoken to you for a couple of minutes now, I can see that humor is a huge part of who you are. Intrinsically, it just comes out in the way you present, the way you talk. You've obviously thought long and hard about the fact that humor is that important in presentations and keynotes and making contact with people. How did that all come about? Have you always been that kind of person to engage people with that big sense of humor? Yes, I guess so. But I do remember about five years ago, one of my booking agents said to me, Lucy, the funnier you are in this business, the more you will earn. And I just heard that loud and clear. And I thought, well, I need to make make my speeches punchier and funnier. And I thought about it. And, you know, no one goes home from a conference and goes, wow, how was that amazing pie chart? They don't. They (laughs) go home and go, how was that? funny speaker where we could we couldn't even get our breath we were laughing so hard and we could relate Mm -hmm. to these stories and I wanted to get better so I actually worked with a comedian and I tell him my stories and he's taught me how to milk my stories for more funnies for more laughs and I love that because then my audience goes home they've had a good belly laugh everyone feels good and they're more likely to remember what they've heard because they associate it with feeling good so you know if you want uh, your delegates to remember content hire a funny speaker <laughs> I couldn't agree more it is so much a part of what makes people relax I think as well because the more they're laughing I feel like more the receptacles are all open and they're just taking things in it leads exactly. me to another question though who makes you laugh if you get up there and during your time on stage, you laughing, who makes you laugh on a daily basis? Uh, I laugh at my own jokes, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually learned that by doing, um, by, by doing pre-records and uh, doing uh, online events where you can't see or hear your audience. Mm-hmm. 
and you have to give them time to laugh. And so I found you can't just look at them. I just laugh at my own jokes, which (laughs) means I feel fabulous after I've given a speech. But I love good stand-up comedy. I really do. I seek out really good stand-ups and I love good female stand-ups. So, yeah, that's how I wind down is is stand-up comedy. Love it. Can't get enough of it. Also, I also get a very real impression, a very distinct impression that you are very comfortable online. A couple of tips and things that you've learned. You've obviously learned a lot being online because what you just said now about the the laughter and the comedy is so true because you just have to trust that what you're saying is landed because you know from experience that it does land and it will land this time. You've obviously yes, learned some right. really, takes, really big things. It, it takes experience. I think if I yeah. had tried doing a lot of online work 10 years ago, I would have uh-huh. struggled. Uh, sure. But you're right. I've, I've got content which I know, no matter what the audience profile, they will relate to these certain stories. And I know that they will laugh at certain points. And so I can give them that and just trust it. But what I find with online work is you don't get that audience feedback. So I'm less sure. energised. After an online speech, I need a very long nap. Yeah, <laughs> it is doubly exhausting. Yeah, with a live speech with an audience, they've just fed me with so much energy and I'm on cloud nine. So that's the only difference really. <laughs> energy also a huge part of what you do. Again, you can just tell in terms of your the way you're talking to me now, energy is everything, right? That energy doesn't come from nowhere. It's something that you cultivate over years and you learn to cultivate, learn to. And you talked about dopamine in one of the short clips that I watched as well. To get your dopamine going, to get you up and at it before you get online or before you stand in front of an audience, do you go through a certain process? Is there anything that you do in particular to get you to a certain place? No, not really. I just walk on stage and get going and it's the sight of an audience. Um, you know, a room full of faces looking at me that gives me my gives me my kick in the butt and gets uh-huh. me going. And I'm energy. I run on stage. I'm energetic from the get go. I know other speakers do things like you know Tony Robbins has a has a mini tramp backstage and gets himself all pumped yes. up. Uh, I don't do that. I'm a pretty energetic person anyway. But I also really respect my audience. And when I look out, say there's a thousand people in a room. And I'm speaking for one hour. That's a thousand hours. And if they all work Mm -hmm. for the same company, holy hell, that is worth a lot of money. And so (laughs) I really respect their time and I have to give them absolute all and leave them feeling just as energetic, motivated, inspired, ready to take action. Have you always been like this as a young kid? Was this always something you saw in your future, something that you would be... (laughs) doing for the rest of your life standing in front of people have you always been that person in a room to light up the room uh not well i never thought i'd be a keynote speaker because Mm -hmm. speaking terrified me at first Mm -hmm. uh but i loved theater and so i thought i would be some kind of performer uh but i guess having a business career is what's informed me on stage and that's how i've wound up being here and i find being a speaker is a lot less stressful than life as a ceo that was (laughs) that was a special level of stress um, but right. it's given me some epic stories to share and uh, a much more peaceful lifestyle, I have to say. Again, looking through your clips and reading a little about you before we talked, you've been around the world. You've traveled all around the world. You've worked all around the world. Your favorite place to go on holiday, where do you go to unwind? Oh, my favorite place. If I leave Australia, because there is so much to explore here in Australia, 
Byron Bay mm-hmm. is one of my favourite places here. But if I head overseas, I go to a little island off uh, the Philippines, uh, off Palawan, called Noah Noah Private Island. Mm-hmm. My goodness. I give a whole speech on persistence. And one of the people I talk about is the owner of that island. Who oh, He wow. came to own it when he came to his millions. But his story of persistence is incredible. But, yeah, that's where I, that's where I holiday when I can get away. It's a, it's a horrible question to finish with, and I'm going to anyway, though, because I do this to okay. most of the speakers. No, really, it is. It's a horrible question because I hate it when people ask me because, honestly, I have no idea how I've got to this point in my life. So I've got no idea where the next five years are going to take me because oh, okay. things change where, so where often. Where am I going next? Yeah. Where are you going in five years? It's a terrible question. I know it is, but I really want to just uh, – what do you want from the next five years? Let's put it that way. Uh, I want to burn up at a lot more stages all over the world, encourage people to be courageous. Uh, Last year I wrote a novel. So next Uh year I'll be promoting that novel. It's called The Book of Men and the genre is called feminist revenge porn. So pretty much every woman I tell about this book is like, what's it called? <laughs> I'll be promoting that like mad. And then I'm um, I'm working towards a big trek. So I love a bit of adventure. And I mm-hmm. want to ride a horse the um, the whole east coast of Australia. It's called the Bicentennial National Trail. It's 5,000 uh-huh. kilometres. Uh, I want to ride that with a team of horses and one of my kids. Uh, so that's going to happen in the five to seven-year time frame. That'll give me some serious stories to tell on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that'll take that'll all happen in the next two years. Knowing you and knowing your energy now, I think that'll be happen, it'll happen sooner than you think. A lot sooner than a, you think. I've got to build a team of horses. My ah. the child team, the keen one, she needs to finish school. You know, there's a ah. few things. Yeah. I lied. I lied. I said that was the last question, but you've led me on to another one. You said you wanted to burn up stages around the world, more stages. Where's one place in the world you haven't spoken that you would love to speak? Oh, Costa Rica, only because it's the most beautiful place I haven't been to yet. I've spoken a lot in Central America, but all online from my living room in Sydney. Uh Uh Costa Rica is on my list of places I would love to travel. My favourite way to travel is when a client sends me somewhere. Oh, isn't that the nicest way? Don't you just love those flights? (laughs) They're the best flights you will ever go on, guaranteed. Yes, indeed. Lucy, thank you so much for your time. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. The pearls of wisdom. I, for one, I'm going to read that book. I'm oh, not sure if it's going to. I'm not sure if it's going to be something that I'm absolutely loving from cover to cover. But I can't wait to see what it's going to be about. Will, Feminist, you will love it. Tell me again. <laughs> tell me the title again. Oh, the feminist revenge porn is. The I'm genre. scared. I'm a little afraid. I'm a little afraid, which is a good thing. You could, you could let yourself in slowly and you could read my memoir. That's called Get the Girls Out, but boys can read it too. Again, one of my favourite phrases, get the girls out. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it right there before I get myself into trouble. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Speakers Inc., we speak at bringing you another incredible international speaker. This is Lucy Bloom. Lucy, thank you so much for your time. My I hope we get Thanks to see each me. other in person rather than online. I really have loved meeting you. Thank you very much. Have an awesome day. We'll see you again soon. If indeed you would like to book Lucy, please simply get onto the Speakers Inc. website, find out more. And if in particular you you're in Cambodia. You need to do some research now because she wants to come and see you. Have a lovely day. we we'll see you all again real soon. Cheers. Okay, see ya.
That was Costa Rica, not Cambodia, but that's okay. Oh, is that what I said? Oh, I'm gonna, oh I'll, I'll correct it. I'll correct it afterwards. I'll make it, I'll put in a little correction. Did I say Oh, you went to Cambodia, right? That is that. Uh, I worked you? in Cambodia, but yeah, it was Costa Rica was where I said I wanted <laughs> damn to. Damn it. Okay. Damn it. Damn it. Damn <laughs> it.